Welcome to the Keeping It Israel podcast with Jeff Futers, where Jeff and his guests talk everything Israel as it relates to Christian faith and the church. If you are a Christian and you stand with Israel, you will be encouraged and challenged by this podcast. And if you're not so sure about the whole Israel thing, you need to learn how your faith connects with Israel and why standing with Israel matters. Now here's Jeff with today's guest. Hey, my name is Jeff. Welcome to the Keeping It Israel podcast today. And uh, today, my guest is Avi Ezekov. Avi is Jewish and uh, from the GTA. He is a, a tour operator from the greater Toronto area, but uh, has an interesting history. He'll share a little bit about that with us. He's also going to share what things are like on the ground in Israel right now. He's just, just come back from a trip about three days ago. And uh, then a, a special treat for you, a couple of recent discoveries, one in the Galilee region and one up uh, around outside Jerusalem. He's going to share a little bit about uh, some of those discoveries as well. I hope that uh, you will enjoy this podcast. Just a word for those of you who are listening to the podcast via audio. If you're interested in any of the photos that we're sharing on this podcast, you can go to our YouTube channel, First Century Foundations, and uh, you can see the podcast there on video. Anyway, let's go to my interview with Avi Ezekov. Well, welcome to the podcast today. And uh, today on the Keeping It Israel podcast, I have as my guest, my good friend, Avi Ezekov. Did I say that right, by the way? Avi Izakov, that's fine. Izakov, okay. So Avi, um, without me explaining too much, why don't you tell us who you are and uh, how did you get to this point in your life? Um, I'm um, an African, mind you, of the wrong complexion, and uh, went to Israel in 1964 as a teenager and um, studied, then went through law school didn't really like law, uh, went into tennis equipment, and then my uh, ex-wife um, found a little advertisement for a tour guides course, and so I did the tour guides course. I guided in Israel for some 30-something years, and then found myself in Canada in the year 2000. In 2001, nobody was traveling to Israel, and um, we had a group of Jewish people, visibly Jewish, going to Israel from B'nai B'rith, Canada, and I was leading that group. Uh, uh, Christians for Israel got wind of it, and so they joined the journey. We had, um, I think, just under 40 people going, 20 of whom were Christians. And um, the Ministry of Tourism brought TV to the airport when we left. When I got back, I was headhunted by a company who wanted to renew their Israel connection. And so I started sending people to, um, to Israel. Uh, back in 2001, 2002. And I've been doing that ever since. Uh, my company now is Unique and Inspiring Journeys. And um, I've just returned from a visit to Israel. Okay. Now, when you and I met, uh, you were kind of in the middle of what you're talking about, um, taking Christian groups in particular to, uh, to Israel. And during that time, I think we connected around 2006 or seven. And, and during that time, you have actually sort of become, in my denomination at least, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, uh, we lovingly refer to you as Mr. Israel. Um, 
<laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about that. How did you, how did you sort of get entrenched in uh, the PAOC and helping churches? Well, the, the very first time I took a pastor's journey, it was the help of uh, the general superintendent, uh, Bill Morrow, who's a very good friend. And we took several large church leaders from Paok on a journey to Israel. And it was a very, very special journey because, again, nobody was visiting Israel. Subsequently, many of those church leaders have joined me going to Israel. And uh, Bill indicated to me that there's an annual conference or a biannual conference that the organization has and that each district has an, an annual a biannual conference as well. And so over time, I've attended virtually all of these conferences over the last probably 14 years. And at, uh, on several occasions at the, at the plenary of the Payoff National Conferences, I addressed the plenary from the podium. And so, yeah. Luckily for me, I've become Mr. Israel in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada and through the connection with Dave Wells mm. in Power 21 as well. Excellent. Well, uh, we, we know that uh, you've helped a number of churches, uh, district superintendents, the general superintendent uh, take trips. And here's the thing right now, uh, tourism in Israel, because of this situation we find ourselves in in the world, uh, it's suffering right now. You've just come back from Israel, correct? Yes, I just got back three days ago. It was a very interesting endeavor. It goes back to uh, March 7. My son had his bar mitzvah March 7, thank God. Uh, and then March 9, Israel mandated a 14-day quarantine for anyone entering Israel. I had a group leaving on March 9, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, we had to pull the plug on that one. And we've now subsequently had to cancel uh, all the journeys for, for 2020. So I decided once my uh, daughter had uh, set up vacation time to leave her apartment for three weeks, I decided that since I had to be two weeks uh, quarantine in Israel, I'd go to her apartment, which is what I did. I spent the two weeks in quarantine in Israel and then started traveling through Israel and really had a wonderful, wonderful time. Now, uh, what was the purpose of your travel? Was it personal or? Well, it's, it's a combination. I have 12 grandkids in Israel. And so uh, six months is a long time not to see your grandkids, especially when I've been going sort of like once a month. And mm -hmm. um, with groups uh, scheduled all the way through July of this year, I had a very promising agenda of flying basically once a month to Israel. The, um, the reason for me traveling at this point was to actually get a feel for what's going on on the ground in Israel as one travels through different areas. And I only focused on uh, the Galilee, uh, the area around uh, Tel Dan and um, okay. Tsipori, and then Jerusalem, several, several occasions to Jerusalem. Very good. So from, uh, from what you observed and what you're hearing in the industry, what's the, what's the outlook for tourism in Israel? What is this going to look like? And, and can you even project any kind of timing going forward? Um, I would be very um, reluctant to project the timeline. I have groups uh, scheduled for January, February, March of next year. Uh, time will tell if that's going to work. In the meantime, uh, around about the 
first week of August, the Ministry of Tourism put out a notice that come August 16, there would be a change that they're going to announce about incoming tourism from what's called green countries, and Canada is one of the green countries. Okay. Unfortunately, however, the numbers in Israel have gone crazy, and it's mainly because instead of dealing with it on a medical, purely medical issue, they're dealing with it in a political issue, and so there are limitations to what can be done because of internal politics, and that's creating havoc in certain neighborhoods, which so happen to be um, the Arab population of Israel and the ultra-Orthodox populations of Israel. Right. And in those neighborhoods, we have what's called red cities that probably are going to be shut down over the next few days. Came August 16, the Ministry of Tourism didn't make any announcement about tourism, but they did announce that um, Israeli passport bearers coming into Israel are no longer required to have a 14-day quarantine. That's the first step to indicate that a green country will be able to travel to Israel. And the question is when they're going to do that. One of the other issues that I witnessed was what's called capsule or bubble tourism. Uh, the concept is that most sites are open, but they limit the amount of the number of people that can enter the site at a given time. So when I went to Tsipori to uh, take a, a day course with the person in charge of uh, water, uh, uh, the history of water in Tsipori and in the Galilee, um, it was limited to 25 people. So we were told that if we don't show up, we should please tell the organizers so they can let someone else in, in right. case you show. Um, it was very interesting to see that because everybody had a face mask and we kept social distance uh, and that's a requirement wherever you go. Um, it was very interesting to, to uh, visit Sipori after about probably 10 years since I last was there to see the extent of the excavations that they've extended in Sipori. So basically, tourism is still at a standstill in Israel, uh, yet internally, Israelis are going all over the show, much like in Canada, Canadians are going all over Canada. Mm, yeah, it's given us the opportunity to see our own countries. Uh, yeah. Very, very, very interesting kind of spin. You know, my wife and I love to travel and uh, mm -hmm. we tend to be in Israel three, four times a year usually. And we also like to go other places and to the U.S. as well. Uh, that's been very different this year for us, uh, you know, and uh, and anybody I know that's listening or experiencing the very same thing. I'm a little jealous, you know, that you got to you got to go to Israel. And uh, but for us. Uh, you know, to go and, and quarantine for 14 days is just not financially feasible well, at all. There's also, um, right now, the requirement is that any individual not Israeli passport holder from a green country has to receive permission from the consulate to go to Israel yeah. on certain conditions that they have to fulfill. The basic concept, though, is COVID-19 is something that each individual is responsible for, and hence this whole, like bureaucracy that uh, that is being set up hopefully once they do open the borders for uh, tourism that bureaucracy will again be sidelined with perhaps a waiver of sorts that uh, will be drafted for people to understand what it is they're undertaking in the meantime um, the travel insurance issue is a very very big problem up until uh, march 15 if i remember correctly um, 
any event that happened to an insured was covered, including COVID-19, between uh, February 20th and about March 15, roughly. But as of that point, when a federal uh, travel advisory was issued, and it hasn't been rescinded, to avoid all unnecessary travel period, which is completely new in the world, um, tourism has been shut down, and the travel insurance policies will not cover COVID-19. I found two travel insurance companies that will provide us with a cancel for any reason, it's called CFAR, and you're insured up until seven days prior to departure for 75% of the value of the journey that you're taking, and if it's within the seven days, 50%. I found an Israeli insurance company that can insure people who have their own insurance for medical-related COVID-19 issues. So mm -hmm. we have that set up to sort of like provide peace of mind for people right. uh, with that view of at least you will be insured, even though um, most travel insurance companies will not insure. The one policy which I find very interesting is one where in most cases, if you receive a, a travel credit voucher, then insurance won't pay. There's one insurance policy that I found that will pay if you refuse to take the, or, or you deny the travel credit voucher, they will pay uh, again, up to 75% or 50% of the value, depending on the timelines. Okay. Very, very interesting. Well, um, you were able to visit a number of places while you're there. And of course, you mentioned you're in your third day of uh, quarantine back here now in Canada. You've got uh, what, about 11 days to go. And yep. I, I hope somebody's looking after you. I hope somebody's bringing your groceries and doing all that kind of stuff. Gateway.com. It works well. Okay. Very good. Very good. Very good. Uh, you mentioned the uh, the water the water system in the Galilee and yeah. and this recent discovery in Safari. Um, I'm going to throw a, a picture up on the screen here if I can, and uh, talk to me a little bit about what has been discovered here. We'll make sure this hopefully works. So. Um it's remarkable that wherever Israel does any earthwork, the Israel Antiquity uh, Institution has to excavate. And in this case, people are standing behind a ritual bath, a mikveh. You can see the mortar and plaster on segments of it where there are three men standing and just underneath them, there's a line of stone. And yes. underneath that, you can see the mortar that covered to, and, or sealed the ritual bath. The unusual thing about this ritual bath is that it's discovered in an area about a kilometer away from Tsipori, but there's no family home that's been found nearby, nor have they found any evidence of olive or olive oil or wine produce. Uh, generally speaking, a mikveh, a ritual bath, will be found either in close proximity to the temple for purification reasons, as you came to, uh, to Jerusalem on any of the uh, feasts, or if you're producing olive oil or wine to make it a kosher product, you had to be spiritually pure before you went in to harvest or, um, or make the wine or the oil. Right. And so right now, the idea is to excavate. This is on a ridge that is roughly about two hectares big. And so the road will be covering the area of this ritual bath I helped crowdfund 
the, trans, the, the moving of that uh, ritual bath to a kibbutz nearby. And the kibbutz so happens to have a regular ritual bath on the kibbutz, and now they'll have an antique ritual bath that they hope to, to plaster and use in the future. Fantastic. I uh, find those things so intriguing, and I know that uh, people listening are will as well. Um, by the way, if you're listening to the podcast and you want to see uh, the image that uh, we just shared, you can also go to our YouTube channel and uh, watch the podcast there. Um, this is this is now. You say they moved this ritual bath to a kibbutz. They haven't moved it yet. They they have the funding to move it to a kibbutz that's about as the crow flies probably a kilometer uh, west of the ritual bath, two kilometers okay. west of, uh, of Sipori. Very, very interesting. I guess they do that, what, piece by piece and then reassemble well, it? No, 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 no. They have to sink um, a concrete, they have to drill holes around the, uh, the, the ritual bath. Uh, then they have to put the whole, well, on one side, they have to go open a trench big enough to slip metal rods underneath okay. the, the width of the ritual bath, pour concrete to connect it to those metal rods, and then when they lift it, hopefully nothing is going to shift, um, and they'll just take it like a, in a pod uh, and carry it to the kibbutz nearby. Wow, that's very cool. I don't know if you remember when they found the ancient boat in the mud in the Sea of Galilee. Yes. They had to come up with some idea, some way, of getting it to a place where they could conserve it. And so there they used, they, they dug out a huge, like a trench around the boat. Mm -hmm. they, they covered the boat in styrofoam. Like, you know, the lining of a refrigerator has got styrofoam in there. Yeah. So like a canister that you have and you just push a little button and go And they actually encased the boat in styrofoam. Then they opened the dam that had held the, because th that season there was sufficient rain and they had to build a dam to prevent the losing the, the boat to the water again. Right. And then they opened that dam and the boat sailed for the first time in 2000 years. That's the kind of stuff that um, we do. And it's the same, well, in Sipori, the same conserver, the person who was in charge of conserving the boat, conserved a bronze bull that was found under one of the Water, um, water, uh, water pool in Sipori. Very interesting find. That's amazing. I love the story of the uh, of the boat, and we go and watch the video every time when we're there with the group. It is uh, incredible to see how that they uh, how that they preserved all of that and were able to actually move it and put it on display there. Phenomenal. Def even more remarkably, when the boat was first housed in a a container outside the museum where they were doing the restoration. They had to put cellulose in, in place of the water because the wood was waterlogged. And so for about five years, all you could see was milk, but there wasn't a group that I guided of Christians who didn't go to visit that container and look at nothing because the boat was there. Wow. <laughs> that is pretty incredible. Uh, by the time I started going, it was already on display. Um, yeah, it was about 2006 or so. Uh, didn't but, you go with uh, your father with us? I did. Yeah. 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 It was my first trip. 
Yeah. My first trip, I, you know, I, I don't know if I ever told you any of my story, but I, I was a pastor for 30 years, almost 20, 20 some years at that point, And uh, really had never given much credence to the idea of going to Israel. I hadn't even thought about it much, uh, felt like it was much of a priority, anything like that. And um, it was my dad who finally convinced me to go. And well, you can see now, uh, I have, I have sort of done an about face on that attitude. But uh, I think it's important for every pastor to go. And we actually have been working on a project to get students to go, uh, Bible college students from our college in Peterborough. And uh, we were supposed to be in Israel the last two weeks of August. But as you said, everything in Israel has been closed down. And so that tour didn't happen. But uh, we're looking forward to hopefully planning that again for next year. Next year, yeah. Yeah. Uh, bear in mind that uh, you might be looking at temperatures between 38 and 42 degrees. The last four days of August were that hot. I warned them. Uh, <laughs> they, we had a conversation with, uh, you know, with the faculty, and, and they said, look, this is the time of year that works best for us. And I said, well, it's super hot in Israel then, but if that's what you want to do, um, we, we planned some activities around you know, being in and out of the water. Inside. Yeah. a fair bit and more air conditioned type uh, things. But yeah, we're, we're still looking, look, looking to do it. It should be good. Should be good. Hey, there was another, uh, another discovery just recently outside of Jerusalem. And uh, I'll share this screen. I've got about five pictures here of this. But I want you to talk to us about this discovery. You seeing that? Yeah. So what we're looking at are what called what are called proto aeolic. They've been given the name uh, of um, proto proto aeolic mainly because when Schumacher, about uh, probably two hundred years ago, found them, he didn't know what they were, but they looked like ionic capitals, and so he looked for a name, couldn't find a name, and somebody suggested. Aeolic, like ionic, but um, it's not the same date. So what we're looking at is some kind of um, an important masonry that's part of a huge amount of these um, stones that have been discovered in Israel. In Megiddo alone, there were 13. But what we're looking at, if you have ever taken a glance at the bottom of a palm tree, a date palm tree in Israel, Okay. Um, and, you, and you might uh, remember Isaiah 11.1, 1, uh, a shoot came out of the base of Jesse. Basically, what we're looking at is those shoots that come out of the palm tree. Now, the date palm tree, because of the shoots, lasts for eternity. And so when we refer to David as a shoot coming out of the stump of Jesse, we're looking at David for eternity and David for the Jewish people exists for eternity. So wow. what we're looking at here seems to be the base of a, a date palm tree. And since it's eternity, it could be some kind of votive uh, stone masonry that's put into opulent buildings. Um, the other part of what was found, what was unique about these is that they were found one on top of each other. Um, I'm not aware of how many places or how many other places we found one on top of the other, 
Hmm. We're not sure yet, uh, because it's an Israel antiquity uh, excavation, we're not sure yet if this was burial or destruction. Um, if it's destruction and they fall one on top of each other, it's pretty unique because we, there are at least one school of thought led by uh, Dr. Norma Franklin, which says these aren't capitals for structure. These are a votive stone, stone piece that's put into a wall or a column, but not for the support. It's, it's for eternal life. Okay. And Very these were discovered in Jerusalem. And there you see the one that's been taken out and the guy's hands are on the other one still covered. This is uh, in an area called the Governor's uh, Hill where the United Nations headquarters uh, is. And there's a wonderful promenade called the Hus Promenade where you see the south side of the old city of Jerusalem. And that's that particular construction, that particular building that was that dates back to just after the Assyrian uh, siege, uh, 701 uh, BC, um, that had a wonderful view of David's city and the old city of Jerusalem just after the siege. It's remarkable in the context of siege and destruction, and within one generation, opulent buildings are going up in and around Jerusalem. That excavation comes adjacent to Kibbutz Ramat Rachel, which is a stone's throw 500 yards south uh, west of there. Yes. And um, another excavation in Talpiot next to the U.S. Embassy where they found an administration center that's on one of the hilltops. There are probably 19 of these hilltops going from the old city out south and west uh, in Jerusalem. And for many years, we didn't know what these hilltops were. Uh, Albright excavated one of, the <coughs> one of them and he put a line down the middle and so all these mounds were called Albright's Arse, excuse my Hebrew. But basically one of those was excavated near the American embassy in Talpiot, mm. and they found what they've dubbed uh, an administration center in the kingdom of Judah just after the siege uh, by Sennacherib. Wow, and these are fairly recent discoveries, aren't they? These are all excavations that have taken place over the last 18 months and as as uh, as. The, this last one that you just showed the photos from, excuse me, was from about five, six months ago, where they've just discovered those stones. Wow, it's fantastic. I, uh, I'm always amazed to hear the new things that are being uncovered. And, uh, you know, we, we sometimes are in Israel and there'll be like road construction or a detour around something and you wonder what's going on over there. And then I come home and I see it on the internet, you know, it's, yeah. You know, that's, that's where, that's where the road construction was. They found something else. And um, this discovery I think is, is so significant because it goes back to that kind of first temple era. Yeah. And uh, that's, uh, that's just amazing to me. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and you know, route six, which is one of the major arteries, like um, four, uh, 407, the same mm -hmm. company, by the way, is running it. Um, when really? they excavate, going around that area, they found the oldest Neolithic village ever. In, and, and it's a very big organized village. Pre-pottery Neolithic was never considered a, a time where there was sufficient um, governance to have a village of any size. And yet, in one of the, one of the um, exits from this highway, they discovered a, a large Neolithic village. This is 10, 15,000 years old. So these are things that 
happen often in Israel as the construction goes uh, crazy, so does excavation go crazy. And luckily enough, we find different things at different times. Mm -hmm. I was also very lucky to uh, partake of a group of about um, 20 odd, 25 odd uh, tour guides with Dr. Uh, David Gurevich, whose uh, PhD was on the, wa the ancient water systems of Jerusalem. And I've been guiding for many years, and it's amazing how much I learned from one day with David Gurevich about the ancient water systems in Israel. Incredible. Well, this is awesome. I appreciate you uh, taking some time to talk with us today, Avi, and uh, I wish you extremely well on your next 11 days of, uh, of quarantine. Thank um, you. Uh, you're not prepared, I know, to make any kind of predictions uh, about, about tourism, but, you know, I want to give people some hope, uh, you know, is a year from now realistic? Is, is March realistic? What are you thinking? Um, well, we, if we look at the, 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 the line of the development vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis Israeli passport holders and entering into Israel, it seems rational to think that should Israel get a, more of a control of the numbers there, uh, they will go ahead and open up for tourism. And so we're looking at possible fe January, February uh, dates that still might work uh, for travel to Israel. But realistically, I think if anyone's planning a journey right now, I would say plan for October, November of 2021. Mm -hmm. um, by then, perhaps we'll have a vaccine and that can change the whole, the whole scene altogether. Right, right. Now, I think people, if, if we're talking about October, November 2021, people would want some kind of assurance that, you know, should COVID-19 still be a factor at that point, that, uh, you know, there's a way out, uh, that there's some sort of uh, insurance to uh, let them know that, you know, they're not, any money they put up front, they're going to be able to get back. I, I think that's reasonable, so, right? So what we're, what we're setting up right now is um, we're looking at making our terms and conditions a little bit more liberal uh, when it comes to the pandemic particularly. Mm. So we will give uh, assurances to people joining any of our tours that they will get a refund should COVID-19 still impact the uh, viability of their journey. Um, that hasn't been the case with the groups that uh, were in the, on paper for the first six months. Um, it's been an established norm to provide a travel credit voucher. And so finding the travel insurance company that will pay out even if somebody does not accept the travel credit voucher was a very important step to making another uh, possible way of giving people their money back. Right, okay. I mean, everybody's been impacted by, by COVID-19. Uh, people in Canada, uh, all over the world. And the extent of the shutdown uh, initially caused some financial strife that we're still dealing with now. And so somebody who is the typical Christian pilgrim who might gather uh, dollars and cents to make a once in a lifetime journey, that kind of outlook isn't a good one for people who gather money to go. And that's once in a lifetime kind of trip but we can assure people that uh, their money is protected and will be refunded should COVID-19 uh, impact the viability of a, of a group journey.
Okay, that's good. Good to know. Now, uh, people who are listening may want to connect with you. They might want to know a little bit more about the company that you're working with. You, give us that information so that we can include it in the in the podcast. So um, I'm at Unique and Inspiring Journeys. My uh, phone number is one eight seven seven nine 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 eight eight six eight, and the extension is four two four. If you're dialing from outside of the GTA and at inside the GTA, four one six. 444-6666, and again, extension 424. My email address you have, it's uh, avi at ihtours.com. Okay, fantastic. Well, we will uh, make sure that we include all that information if people want to reach out and connect with you. Uh, I know that if uh, you're listening or watching and uh, Traveling to Israel with a group is something that you would love to do. Avi would take really great care of you. And so we just uh, want to encourage you to connect with him. And he is going to plan for you a tour that will definitely go ahead in 2021, right? Correct. And we do that with uh, an Israeli uh, company that is a unique company, Sarel Tours and Travel, are yes. uh, a messianic organization that uh, I'm dealing with now solely in Israel. And it's a remarkable organization. They have a wonderful studio overlooking David City. We will be having, well, God willing, two groups will materialize, Marie Miller and Todd Manuel. And they will have Passover Seder overlooking the area of the Last Supper, uh, which will be broadcast live uh, to Canada. Very cool. Is that a joint trip that they're doing? They're not, they're, they're not traveling together. They'll be in Jerusalem together. Okay. So, so it'll be Todd Manuel, the... is doing, Todd Manuel is doing an 11 day journey, which includes Jordan and Marie Miller is doing a 10 day uh, journey, Israel only. Uh, Marie's been to Israel many times. Todd has been to Israel many times as well. Todd was one of the pastors on that original payoff journey with Bill Morrow. Yes, right. I believe my friend Doug was as well. Yes, Doug Ryan was on that one too, correct. Yeah, yeah. Our friend. Our friend. Well. Yeah. He's, he's been my friend for uh, a long time, but uh, I'll share him with you. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know, but Doug is, uh, Doug is a grandfather now. Very, yes, I saw that on Facebook and wished him well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very proud grandpa. And, he's still got uh, 11 to go to catch up to me. I know, I know. I've got, I have nine to go to catch up to you, but uh, we'll get there maybe. We'll see. We will, we will. God bless. Yeah, listen, Avi, great to have you, and uh, God bless you, and we'll, uh, we'll connect again soon. Todaraba, thank you, and uh, here's to travel to Israel in 2021. Next year in Jerusalem. Yep, next year in Jerusalem. Thanks so much. Well, that was very interesting, and I hope you enjoyed my guest, Avi Ezekov, today. Avi is just a wealth of information. Not only is he very, very uh, in tune with what's happening in the tourism industry as it relates to Israel, he's also a wealth of knowledge and information, having been a tour guide in Israel for over 30 years. And what I like about it is that he also stays up to date with what's happening with new discoveries. And we heard a little bit of information today about uh, the mikvah, the ritual bath that was found near Sephori up in the Galilee region. 
and also the uh, stones that were found outside of Jerusalem that are from the First Temple era. Just uh, incredible, incredible discoveries in the last 6 to 18 months. So thank you for tuning in today. If you want to connect with Avi, don't forget his email is avi at ihtours.com. And you can also reach him by phone 1-877-999-8868 at his company, uh, Unique and Inspiring Journeys. And we want to encourage you, if you're looking to go to Israel the next year or two or or longer, talk to Avi. He's uh, a great, great resource. Also, don't forget that First Century Foundations is a ministry. We are a charitable organization that helps ministries in the land of Israel, Christian and Messianic ministries. And uh, we can receipt you for your donations, both in the United States and in Canada. Just go to our website, www.firstcenturyfoundations.com forward slash donate, and you can help our ministry there. We would appreciate so much you partnering with us. Looking to have you partner on a monthly basis, if that's something that uh, you would be interested in doing. It would just help us so much. God bless you today. It's been great to have you with us on the podcast. And remember, as Christians, we stand with Israel.